Good morning. How are we? Doing good, doing good. Um, good to see new faces and faces we haven't seen in a while. Welcome back. Welcome to our church. We are an imperfect church. Let's just get that out of the way because we're imperfect people. But he's perfect and he is perfecting us every day. Um, I've been wanting to pray for different people who are kind of frontline people. We prayed for teachers and first responders. I want to pray this morning for folks that are in the armed services. And if you have, are in the armed services or you have someone that is in the armed service, would you stand? I'm standing. We have a daughter who's in the Navy. Anybody have kids, someone in the military? I thought we had more than that. Oh, we, here we go. Okay. You're, we're representing these families. We want to pray that God would move and protect in their, protect them and move in their lives. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that there's power in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the men and women of our armed services who truly have displayed what you said, Lord, was greater love than this, is that a person lay down their life for their friends. We pray for protection. We pray for peace in our world. We pray that there would not be wars and things of that nature, God, that your, your peace would guard our troops, people that are on the front line, moms and dads and husbands and wives that are fearful of things that could happen. We pray for those that are lonely and hurting right now. God, pour your blessing on them. Help them all to see you and give wisdom to those that are in leadership in the armed services right now, Lord. And we just thank you for being so gracious in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've been smelling that chili all morning? Like, I'm hungry. So I'm going to make this quick. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you're like, thank you. We would appreciate that. Long ago, in a kingdom far, far away, there was a benevolent king. We love stuff like that, do we not? You hear that and you perk up. What story are we going to hear? What kingdom? What king? We're fascinated as a culture with kings and, and kingdoms. I mean, think about the number of TV series, the number of books and stories that have been written, the number of movies. I did a a search for movie titles with the word king in it, there was a lot. Came up, number one was Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Good movie, great book, right? And then The Lion King came out. How many dig The Lion King? Because then followed that was Lion King 2, Hakuna Matata. And then Lion King 3, Simba's Pride or something like that. And then King Kong came up. Uh, the King and I, which can I admit I've never seen, know nothing about that. Am I in trouble with you? Look, at, I knew that was going to happen. Whenever I admit, I'm, I'm not a big theater guy. Um, King Arthur was another one. I'm trying to think of the other ones that were there. Um, All the King's Men, and it just went so on and so on. There were so many, too many, too numerous. So, real quick game. Shout out a famous king. King David, who? Herod, Henry, 
friends called him Richard. Nebuchadnezzar? No one shouted Elvis. Hello? <laughs> Jesus is the king. Very true. King James. What happened there, too? Anyway, the history of kings, when you study history and you see kings and kingdoms, most of them were tyrants that, you know, harassed their people, didn't, didn't treat them well. There was a few benevolent kings along the way, but most were bad kings. You study the history of Israel. You read the Old Testament. God told the Hebrew people that he would be their king, and yet they wanted to be like all the other nations around them and have a king. So he gave them King Saul. You know that didn't turn out so good. Then you had King David, King Solomon, and if you read through First and Second Kings, there's like five bad kings in a row that did evil in the sight of the Lord, then maybe one good king, and then five more bad. I mean, so the history of kings is not always very pretty. We're in a series called Music to Live By, and we're going through selections from the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. We're not going to cover all of them, but we're going to cover a few of them over the next continued several weeks into the Christmas season. Did I just say we're already at Christmas? Wow, is it? Bah humbug. Um, love Christmas. Psalms, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Psalms are poetic songs written mostly by King David and others. They would have been written to music, and they're, they're prophetic in nature. There's psalms of repentance. There's psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving. All, and it's, the psalms are really just a great insight into the human condition in our relationship with God. Some of the Psalms are very real and honest, which I appreciate, where David is being real with God. God, where are you? And then he always ends with, but I know you're with me. You know, where are you? And can you relate to that? Where are you, God? I know you're with me. Because circumstances in life can pounce us sometimes. So today we're going to look at Psalm 2. I did Psalm 1 two weeks ago. Joel did Psalm 110. And I'm going to do Psalm 2 today. These are not going to be in like you know, any kind of order, just random selections from the Psalms. Our greatest hits, maybe. <laughs> Jesus' playlist. This would have been the songs Jesus grew up on. He quoted the Psalms. We find him in the Psalms. So today in Psalm 2, we're going to see a king longing for his real king. David is the king, but he prophetically is longing for Jesus. He's longing for the real king. Whenever you approach Scripture... Whenever you've approached the Bible, make sure you try to get into the mind and worldview of the author. The, yes, the Holy Spirit inspires, inspired the Word of God, but people who wrote Scripture, like David might not have understood that he was actually penning Scripture when he did it. He was pouring his heart out to God. And in God's providence, he, those were preserved for us like the rest of Scripture. But you've got to get in the mind and the worldview of the author. David didn't go into a trance or a zombie-like you know, state and then just moved by the Holy Spirit. He was using his mind, his thoughts. And, he's and we have an ancient you know, worldview. And then, then you can pull out and say, how does this apply to me today? Because if we try to read all of the, especially you know, the Old Testament through lenses of our worldview in America in 2021, we might miss and misinterpret what's really going on here. So let's read Psalm 2. It's a prophetic psalm. 
Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son today. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, when you read this passage, when we read this psalm, David was looking forward to Jesus. He was, he was looking forward to the life, death, and resurrection of the Messiah. We have this vantage point where we look back, and we can interpret and see, and we have the New Covenant, we have the New Testament, we see how all this opens up. David didn't have that vantage point. He was looking forward to that. So I want to make a couple observations here about this psalm. The first thing I saw was the father declares his son to be the one and only king. We have the father prophetically speaking through David about Jesus, his one and only unique son, eternal son of God, that he's the true king. David knew that the Messiah was going to come through his lineage. God told David that the Messiah of Israel and ultimately the whole world was going to come through his line, his family tree. You can read about that in the Gospels, in the genealogies of Jesus and trace it back to David. Very important. He said, as for me, I have set my king on Zion. That's in Jerusalem, God's holy mountain, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you're my son. Today, I've begotten you. Now, in the book of Hebrews, which is later in the New Testament, written to Jewish believers in Jesus at the time, this psalm is quoted by the writer of Hebrews in Psalm 1. And the book of Hebrews is all about the supremacy of Jesus over the angels, over creation, over, am I breaking up here? Over creation, over the law and Moses and so on and so forth. And so he says in chapter 1, he says, to which of the angels did he ever say, today you're my son? He's just saying how high Jesus is. Second observation I see is nations, kings, and rulers are influenced by the evil one to reject the real king. That's what David is saying. The, the, the evil one has put it in the minds and hearts of nations and kings and rulers to reject the real king. They don't want to submit to God. They don't want, they want the power for themselves. He says, why do the nations rage? Does he, who, who does he have in mind when he says nations? So get into his mind, his worldview. It would have been the Amalekites and the Canaanites and all the otherites that were around, is, surrounded Israel and wanted you know, to destroy Israel. 
He says, why do they rage and plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That word anointed, the anointed one in, in Hebrew is Mashiach, which is where we get our word Messiah. In Greek, it's translated Christos, where we get the word Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Mashiach. He's the anointed one that God has put his anointing on. Now, weeks ago, we did a series on the conflict between light and darkness, right? And we talked about how you see it in far long ago, even before creation, this fall of Satan, the fall of created divine beings that were part of God's divine counsel rebelled against him. And the whole, we weave throughout the Old Testament, and you see it all the way in the crescendo of Jesus, and into the book of Revelation, you see this, this Satan deceiving nations, rulers, to not come under the glory and, and covering of God, but they wanted power. And there's that struggle, this unseen power struggle. If the book of Revelation is confusing to you, join the club, Right? But the, when you read the book of Revelation, keep in mind that it is a power struggle between religion and politics. That's really the heart, in that people rejecting Jesus as king. So they were under the tyranny of Rome. They were under the tyranny of you know, persecution. When you're reading the book of Revelation, it's important to remember that. Nations, kings, and rulers don't want to submit to God. They don't want to come under the king, but let's make this personal. As individuals, we don't either. Our natural inclination is to be our own king. Our natural inclination is to be our own king and also reject the true king. We want to be our own boss. We want to call the shots in our life. And there's a tendency to just push him away. We All of us at some point in time have said no. Jesus. We might do it in little things or like I did in my early 20s said, I want nothing to do with you. What I had been told was the gospel. What I had been told it meant to follow Jesus, I couldn't live up to that. He was this taskmaster that I had a false understanding about who God was. And it caused me to say, no thanks. And I literally went like this. And in his grace, he brought me back to faith when I was 25 years old faith in Jesus and seeing his goodness and seeing that this king was a good king, that Jesus was a good God. The Father is a good God. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 8, verse 7. He says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You could transpose the word for flesh, self. When we are walking self in selfishness, when I am walking in selfishness, my mind is hostile to God. Why? Well, because God's a servant. God is unselfish. God prefers others. God is humble. And so when we're walking in the op opposite of the, those truths about God, we're hostile. He's not hostile. We're hostile. We're not walking in, in his ways and I think so often we forget that we have a good king, that we have a good God who's always has our best interest at heart. 
If God asks us to do something or not to do something, it's because he knows what's best. And that he loves us. Young people in this room are watching. Let that sink in. Whatever God, obedience to the Lord is not drudgery. It's life. Because he knows what life is truly about. I think we've been told things about him that just aren't true. And we get a false perception. Here, let me give you some good news. Last observation here. We can all take refuge in the king. He says, come one, come all. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. He finishes that. In Jerusalem, there, there's a Holocaust museum called Yad Vashem. And I remember walking through there, and you, it's almost like a timeline of World War II and how the Nazis came into power and so forth, and then obviously the atrocious things that happened in the Holocaust. And as I was walking, I was struck by seeing how Hitler, as he was coming to power, he was promising people, he was saying, take refuge in me and I'll make your life better. Take refuge in, in my ideology, and I'll make your life better. And literally, some of the neighboring nations of Germany, like, they didn't even have to, Germany didn't even have to fight or go to battle. They were waiting for them with parades saying, yay, yay, we're going to take refuge in you. You know what happened, right? Many people promise refuge. Many things promise refuge. There's only one who really gives true refuge. That's our king. Blessed are the ones who take refuge in him. Now, maybe elephant in the room for just a second. What does taking refuge in him not mean? That's a question we have to, what does that not mean? We have to wrestle with that. Well, first of all, it does not mean that we will not go through trials and troubles. Don't think that taking refuge in the Lord is going to get you out of difficulties in life. And we got some folks with relational difficulties, health difficulties, all kinds of trials and things. It's just part of this life. This is not heaven. We have to remind those when we get health crisis, we get financial crisis, relationship, whatever. It's a reminder that we're not in heaven. We are passing through. In the life to come, there will be no sickness, no sin, no sorrow, no death, no tears, no sadness. We're not there yet. I love the honesty of our king. He said this. He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. He's honest. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He's honest. So you and I should never think that we're not going to go through difficulties in life. The quicker we accept that, the more we can take refuge in him. The more we take refuge in him. So taking refuge in Jesus means that in spite of trials and troubles, we can have three things. We have hope that's unshakable because we have eternal life. We need to be reminded of that every day. All of us in, in, in our lives, all of our bodies have an expiration date. We don't know when that is. But we have hope. 
that we have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He or she who believes in me, though they die, they live. That's eternal life. That's what we're building our lives on, that hope that cannot be taken away. Also, when you take refuge in him, you get peace in spite of your struggles. Jesus said, my peace I leave you. Not the peace that the world gives, but my peace I give you. Worldly peace is based on circumstances. There's enough money in the checkbook, my health's good, life's good, da, da, da. Hey, I got peace. That's worldly peace. It's based on circumstances. Jesus' peace is in spite of difficulties. And then he also said, I, I leave my joy with you. That you and I can have joy even when life is hard. Even when life throws us curveballs, difficulties. We still have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. So how do we do that? How do I take refuge in the king? How do I take refuge in him? Well, this is what the Lord showed me. First of all, I need to come to him. I need to come to the king. Jesus said in Matthew 11, one of my favorite passages, he's, he's looking at a crowd of people under the tyranny of Rome in religion, and in, in legalism, and law, and all this. And he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Look at that invitation. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Wow. Come to me. You know what that means? Come as you are. We don't clean ourselves up and then try to follow Jesus. He's the one that does the changing. If you truly come to him in faith, he will do the correction. He'll do the cleaning. He'll do the changing. We try to do it in our own strength, and man, I'm toast. We're all toast when we try to do things in our own strength. Come in your brokenness. How many of us can admit, man, I'm broken, but he's fixing, he's changing, he's restoring. That's what it means to take refuge in him. It doesn't mean to be perfect, because that's not going to happen, but it means we come to him in our brokenness. Come to him in faith. Come to him in expectation that he will be your refuge, that he will change you and transform you. Second thing in, in order to take refuge in him is I need to come under his covering. I need to come under his covering. The definition of submission, which submission is a super popular word, right? Thou shalt submit. Like, we hate that word. We bristle when we hear the word submission. It's actually a cool word. In the military, when you submit to your commanding officer, you're coming under their authority. You're coming under their leadership. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke. What that means is if you can picture two oxen together um, plowing a field, they were yoked together, so they walked together. That's what it means when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. He's saying, walk with me. This thing's killing me. Take my yoke upon you. Walk with me. Some of us have authority issues because we've had bad authority figures in our life. Could be a parent, 
teacher, coach, whatever experience you had. And what we have to remember is we can trust the authority of Jesus. When you come under his covering, he's not going to lead you astray. He's going to always lead you to what's good, what's good for you, and what a good life is. We have the best leader we could ever ask for in Jesus. Is that true? He's the best leader. He's the perfect example. He's not a taskmaster. He's a loving Savior. And then when we follow him in his goodness, we'll know what life's about. Third way to, to take refuge in him is I need to allow him to order my life. Allow him to order my life. He said, learn from me in that passage that I read. Learn from me. Read what Jesus said and taught in the Gospels. Do it weekly. Read the words in red. All of Scripture is important. But when you're learning from Jesus how to live, what did he say to do? And then go do what he said to do. That's simply what that means. Let him order your life. Let me know when you order your own life, it usually goes a little chaotic. I'm going to do this. These are my plans. This is my future. Oh, it's the age-old thing is if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, right? <laughs> like letting him order your life means, okay, Lord, you know what's best. I'm daily going to seek you, and I'm going to put into practice what you say to do. It's so important. A commitment to an attitude of repentance. Repentance isn't a one-time deal. The word repent means to change your mind. Change your mind about God, change your mind about yourself and how you see others. That's what that means. And God is always having to, to let us see him better, let us see ourselves better, the gospel better, and people better. Not perfection, but a pliable heart. People who have pliable, teachable hearts are taking refuge in him. Jesus doesn't want to be our consultant. He's not a consultant. He wants to show us how to really live. That's what he wants to do. When you do that, you're taking refuge in him. And then lastly, you need to trust and rely on him. Trust and rely on him. He says, for I'm gentle and low, lowly, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As I was praying for you, as I was putting this together this week, I was seeking the Lord on your behalf. And the Lord showed me that there are a lot of people not at rest in Him. Some of you are not at rest based upon life and circumstances. And it became a burden in my heart to pray. And for you to find rest in the refuge of the Lord. Are you experiencing that rest? Because life's chaotic. Life throws curveballs and difficulties and we're busy and schedules and things happen. It's hard to find that rest. It's hard to live in that rest. But he wants you to have that rest. He said it. Come to me. You'll find rest. I had to ask myself, am I walking in rest? That's what I'm pursuing. I'm going to pursue it on your behalf and on my behalf. And I want you to pursue his rest. Rest does not mean laziness. It does not mean apathy. It means, ah, 
There's a sense of joy and peace and hope and satisfaction because of who he is and what he's done. How do I know if I'm taking refuge in him? A couple quick thoughts. Have you come to him? That's the first step is come to Jesus or come back to him. And then are you walking with him? Is he ordering your life? Listen, I blow it every single day. But I want to get back up and I want to follow him. When I get off his path, like the scriptures are there to show us his path, to show us when we get off the path, how to get back on the path and how to stay on the path of walking with him as his, his disciple. And then and am I relying on him and do I have that sense of rest? Because he wants you to take refuge in him. He wants you to experientially, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to experience rest. That he's got this. The good news, the gospel, is that God the Son became one of us. He entered into this broken world, took on fallen flesh. It entered into the world that got turned upside down by our first parents and Adam and Eve. He lives a perfect life and he died a brutal death to defeat death. His death rend rendered death inoperable and provides eternal life. His resurrection gives us new life. He defeated death, sin, and the evil one by what he did on the cross and his resurrection. The good news is he's coming again. He went back to the Father, and now he commissioned the church to go out and tell the whole world this good news. We don't do anything to make the good news good news. You don't make it gooder, right? You can't make it more gooder. It is good news, because it's, and it's something that we declare you don't make it better by your behavior, being more moral, being this or that. You don't make it better. It already is what it is. We agree with Jesus. That's what faith is, is I agree with you, Jesus. Thank you. That's faith. Just say thank you for what you've done. I'm with you. Lead my life. We're going to go into a song, if you'd stand. And I, my hope and prayer during this song would be you would reflect on what we just talked about, taking refuge in him. Some of you have some burdens right now that you're carrying, and it's hard to be at rest. Let the Lord, the Holy Spirit, minister to you as we sing.
Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you, I worship you, cause you are here. Healing every heart, I worship you, I worship you, cause you are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, waymaker, miracle worker, Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Oh, that is who you are. That is who you Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Oh, that is who you are. That is who you are. You are here, turning lives on. I worship you, I worship you, cause you are here, mending every heart, I worship you, I worship you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, our King. We take refuge in you today, Lord. We come to you. We want to walk with you. We want you to order our life. We trust and rely upon you. Thank you that you are trustworthy and the ultimate promise keeper. Help those in this room right now are watching that are, are hurting from life. God, they're going through difficulties. They need your refuge. Pour out your peace. Give them the gift of faith. Rise hope 
in their hearts fresh and new. Lord, keep us free from the deception of the evil one who tries to come and, and, and steal the word of God that's been planted in our hearts today. Lord, let him not take anything away that you would put in our hearts. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.